Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Have you been watching Bake Off? I have. I'm so excited that it's on Netflix, like in real time. We're only a few days behind Britain. It's so cool. I'm so I'm kind of like used to binging these things. Yes. But I haven't like I feel I feel like bad to say this, but I haven't had the urge to watch any sort of baking TV for a <laughs> long time. I think I've just been really careful about what I'm taking in. You know, throughout totally. like the creative process of writing the book, I'm like I don't want to take in too much exterior influence and then lose my own voice and be going, "Ooh, I want to do it like this person." Anyway, I'm so excited to just like sit and watch it though. I have the urge. It's back. I'm ready to watch some baking TV. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode is, I think, going to be my most favorite episode because it is all about the release of your new book, Cake Portfolio, and what a huge, momentous accomplishment you have just achieved. You're so sweet. And I think every episode's our favorite. Every new episode is so exciting. So hopefully this one will be enjoyed too. And I'm so excited. I really appreciate that you offered to do an episode about it and and give me the chance to kind of verbally share. It's hard on Instagram and like the 15 second slides. And then I don't want to be too obnoxious with like, you know, 200 slides. So this is a nice long format, I think, for somebody who's a little more interested in the details. This is exclusive as well. This is the first interview of its kind, totally inside capture of this amazing project. So true. Maria Lawton, the Azorian Green Bean, she wrote, and she wanted me to remind you to enjoy everything and take a mental snapshot to look back on in the future. And I hope that this episode is sort of a snapshot that will help you look back in who knows, a year, five years, 10 years of what this, this experience was like for you. That's such a lovely thought and such a Maria thing to do. I just adore her. If you guys haven't heard her episode, I'm always kind of like plugging it to people just because it's a unique one. And she's just such a unique person. And she's been incredibly encouraging to me ever since I met her. It was like, I met her and she was instantly just a force in my life. And I don't even know that she always knows that it's not like we write every single day or anything, but her encouragements always hit straight at my heart. So thank you so much, Maria. And I will definitely take that advice and and run with it. And she's a new grandmother. So we have to say congratulations, Maria. Congratulations, Maria. You're going to be the best grandmother. Oh, what a lucky baby. Right. Oh my God. I, I can't even imagine how wonderful this baby is going to have it. (laughs) (laughs) So my first question is, what does this all feel like right now? And maybe take us back a little, maybe to the final weeks of testing and editing and writing. And what was that like? And what was it like when you held the first copy? Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's a lot of questions in one. What does it feel like right now? Uh, I would say it feels really great. Mostly positive. I'm a pretty tempered person. So a lot of times I'm like, I feel great, but, or I feel terrible, but it's not all bad. So, and I, I think this is one of those cases where I feel great. It feels wonderful to have the book out. But as we record this, my little caveat of like, I feel great, but is that the book is released. It's been ordered. I had a few preview copies I've sent out. So some people have them, but the people who ordered on the very first day, their books will be shipped in the next few days. So I still feel like I'm in this kind of like weird lag of, you know, so it's been released, but not that many people have it in their hands yet. So there's still a little bit of anticipation happening. I just hope everybody who's chosen to support me in this way, which it just, it means so much. I'm like, I have this pressure of like, I don't want to disappoint anybody and I hope everybody gets it and his expectations can be very varied. And I hope that as they hold it, they're like, yes, this is what I was hoping it would be. So there's still a little anticipation, 
Um, how was it the last little bit? So the recipe, like you were saying, like the last bit of testing and proofreading and all that, like the recipes were done, I would say at least maybe like a good month. There were still a few people testing recipes and getting back to me, but as far as me knowing kind of like how I wanted it to be, that was done well before the proofreading part, which was by far the most hellish portion of the book. I had my husband proofread it. He's extremely meticulous. I thought about hiring a professional proofreader, but given my schedule and just kind of the way things work, um, and our personalities were both pretty insane. Um, I knew too, like at some point I just have to accept there will be some errors. This is, you know, the physical world that we live in, but that part really sprung up a lot of my perfectionist nature. And I will say it kind of took me to an unhealthy place. I, I, I suddenly made like really <laughs> dramatic schedules for my entire life. Like I was, I would write out schedules for brushing my teeth and washing my hair and like all the specific tasks of every single day. And I realized that that was flowing from trying to take a really close look and make things just so at the end. So I'm, that was the worst part. I'm glad that part's over. Wow. Crazy. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. And even in professionally edited books, there are still mistakes. So, so forgive me, you guys, if there's errors, well, not if there, there most definitely will be. So just forgive me, have mercy on me. And then what was it like when you held that first copy? Oh, that was probably the best moment yet. Cause whether it was a cookbook or not, writing a book was something even as a little girl that I always thought, oh, it'd be really cool to write a book. I loved creative writing as a little girl. So it was something in the back of my mind. And then it's, you know, changed that this is the book that I had to share in, in my brain that I needed to get out. So it ended up being kind of a cookbook. Although I also call it a design book a bit. Sometimes I'm like, is it a cookbook or is it a design book? I don't know. It's a little bit of both. But that moment of holding it, it just, it was one of those moments. Like when I held my kids, when I won the show, like there's certain peak moments where I'm like, oh, this one's going to stand the test of time of being really, really special forever. So I'd love to take an audio tour through your book. So you and I will page through it and then we'll describe kind of the its sections and its features so that those of you who haven't seen it in Amanda's stories or on Instagram can kind of have um, our descriptions and Amanda's curation of, of its contents. So first thing I want to say, though, is that size. It's a, an adorable size that just craves to be taken on vacation because I'm sure all of our listeners are like us. Like you do want to do some baking <laughs> on vacation. And often I will bring a couple cookbooks that I've just been dying to dive into on, on a trip. And I just love the size. It reminds me, and Jonathan said this too, it reminds us of the Violet Bakery cookbook that just like sweet delicious size that you just want to kind of hold close to you. <laughs> I love that comparison too, because Claire's such an inspiration to me, her book and everything she does. So that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. And then as you leaf through, you see gorgeous pictures of your cupcakes. I mean, they're just sort of like iconic you style. And then you get to this gorgeous quote by Frida Kahlo. And why did you choose this quote? There is a lot of thought put into this. So um, should I read it just before I talk too much about it? Would you like to? I would love that. Yeah, sure. So also it's in Spanish. I put it in Spanish just out of respect that that's how it was actually written. And then it's been translated into English um, many, many times. So you see it around in English, but I don't know. I just, I just wanted to have respect for the actual quote. It felt right. Like if you're quoting a quote, here's how it actually was. So anyway, it says, I used to think I was the strangest person in the world, but then I thought there are so many people in the world. There must be someone just like me who feels bizarre and flawed in the same way as I do. I would imagine her and imagine that she must be out there thinking of me too. Well, I hope that if you are out there and read this, and know that, yes, it is true. I'm here and I'm just as strange as you. So I, I just, I feel like if you are a creative type of person, 
which I kind of believe everyone is. So if you're a human, you have moments where you feel like you're one of a kind and, and maybe not in the good way. Like, I'm just too weird for this world. I say that to my husband sometimes, like, I don't, I don't know if I fit here. And this book, I wanted to be very specific from my perspective, almost kind of, it's a portfolio, just like it's called. It's a portfolio. It's kind of my cake journal. This is a body of, of my work in a very personal way. And I love it when people connect with it. I like to think that I'm unique, but I also don't want to feel alone. And I was just kind of hoping that if anybody was having that feeling like, oh, I'm so strange or whatever, that they would know from the get-go that this book is kind of a welcoming place of hopefully connection. Even though I'm not physically there, we're connected in some way if you have this book. I love it. And I think that coupled with the preface, is that how you say that? Preface? or Yeah. A preface? This, it's not preface. The dramas of self-publishing, you've just brought it, brought up all of my nightmares right here. So I'm like, I'm writing a preface and I don't even know if it's a preface or a preface. And then I was like, oh, screw it. I'm just going to call it introduction. But then I Googled and introduction is a totally different thing. So the preface or preface, preface is where you're supposed to introduce yourself as the author and kind of explain, this is why I'm writing this book. This is why I'm the person to give this particular batch of information to you. And the introduction is where you introduce the book. So I don't know what it, how it's actually pronounced for sure, but I do know what it is. So there's that. <laughs> well, I love it. I think those three together truly set the tone for this book and gives us an insight into you. I feel like I know you better, even though I've, I mean, we talk all the time and we we're really good friends, but I feel like I knew you, I know you in a deeper level and they're, they're quite succinct. So you were able to communicate a lot in a, sh- a small space about what this, who you are, what the book's about, like you said, and what the journey we're going to go on. And I, I'm all I can say is well done. Thank you. Your observations mean so much too. It's fun to hear somebody looking at the finished product because I care very much to be succinct because I don't often take the time to even read things like this. So the last thing I want to do is present someone with 20 pages and I'm going, I would never read it, but here I'm going to expect you to. So I tried to keep it concise. At one point, the preface was literally like, I like cake. It makes me happy. And I was like, well, I should probably expound a little more than that. <laughs> and then I wrote a really long one and then I edited it down. So that's, that's what you have here. <laughs> oh, next you have a wonderful section all about the ingredients you choose to use. And again, it's super approachable and things that everyone will have access to. Great. Yeah. All grocery store ingredients, because that's how I bake. I, it's, I go straight to the grocery store and get my stuff and keep it moving. And I, I tried with both ingredients and equipment. Those were really boring areas to write. But I tried to only put stuff that hopefully was useful. Just, um, again, trying to be very direct and very clear and and respect the time it takes to read. And as people, if you've had experience with cake, there's like tons of ways to level something, to tort something, to store something. And I love that we just get your straightforward, really clear methods on how to do each of these, you know, um, foundational steps. Yeah, they're pretty straightforward. And I will say, so for prepping and storing, where I go over leveling, torting, storing, building and filling, I'd breeze through all of that crumb coat finishes where you do like crumb coat, how I finish the sides or the top edge. I did try to keep it very concise. So if you're brand new to baking and you want more information, use these terms and Google it because there's so much good, like very detailed videos are so effective at communicating this type of information that if you, if it leaves you and you're like, Oh, cool, that's a great idea then keep, keep it moving. But if you're like, I don't really understand what she means by that. Don't feel lost. Just use the information that's out there. Then you have a very unique section about elements of art, which is so appropriate for this book since it is a cake portfolio of art, cake art. Yeah. Um, it's something I hadn't seen done before and I've seen it applied 
you know, going to art school, it was something I saw the elements and the principles of art applied to many different mediums. And I thought it would be kind of fun to show it with respect to cake, because I do approach it as a medium, obviously it's edible. And so there's the whole element of flavor and texture and the eating part, but for the design, which is very much, you know, kind of coming into play in this section of the book, I thought, let's show it in a new way, because as much as I've given completed designs later on in the book, I don't want to just sling those and say, these are the cakes, make these cakes, you're set for life. It's my hope that somebody who has the urge to be creative to kind of give them a little bit of a, a cadence, kind of how I go about it and, and give them a way that hopefully they could make their own personal cakes. And next you take us through intuitive design, which is so helpful. I learned so much just in reading these pages. And you talk about color, how to modify color, saturation, all the things you need to start really opening your mind to being creative with cake. Yeah, it's um, a lot about color. I get a lot of questions about color. So these pages were really important to me to have. Sometimes it's interesting to me that people will ask me questions about color because there are far more colorful cakes out there in the world and on Instagram. So I was excited for the chance to kind of show how little dye I use. Like as you go through the recipes, you'll see most of the time it's flavor driven and the colors that are added for the most part are just to support those flavors. And it's pretty minimal. So even though I, I do use color, it's really all about the flavor. And, and so it's fun to be able to explain kind of how I go about that there. And as you can imagine, there's an incredible amount of pictures in this section. And there's some like full double page layout pages of like these ruffles and different hues of bluish gray. And like to get this close up to piping is really a joy to see how perfect and like the consistency of the icing is. It's like, it's super satisfying. Oh, I'm so glad you like that. Cause so at first I had the piping pin pages way condensed down, but the pictures were so small and I thought, well, you can kind of see it, but I wanted it to almost feel tactile. Like you could reach it almost life-size. It's not quite life-size. It's almost life-size though. So I just wanted it to be as realistic as possible. Um, I've noticed in cake class, it's very helpful if I am teaching. It's, It's not helpful at all if I pipe something and people can't see it very well. So I go from place to place on the table and try to do it really close to each person. So I wanted to bring that into the book here. And then if you're even remotely a fan of what Amanda does, the next section about piping will just totally give you all of the excitement of, yes, now I know what to do, how to do it. (laughs) She gives you all (laughs) the inside um, techniques on the tips she uses and the different piping shapes you can create using those tips. It's super fun. Thank you, sir. And again, it's not comprehensive. So if you are really into piping, there's so much more out there on the internet. It's just here are my moves. This is, <laughs> I felt very much like I was on a dance floor. Like, here are my moves. I'm just going to show you what I can do. And then some other dancer, like I would love if every cake artist that I love presented their portfolio because there's so many moves. These are just the ones that I kind of lean on and that I enjoy doing. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to try them all on a sheet pan as you recommend so that you can practice, scrape it off and practice again. Keep at it. And then you give us some great creative exercises to get us going and doing our own designs, creating our own designs. I thought about you in this part because I feel like musicians have warm-up exercises. They have so many, so many ways to kind of ease into the big part of the medium. And I thought, I'm gonna give this to cake people as well. Like give you a little warm-up, a little practice so that you're not just going from cold to straight on the cake. Exactly. When I teach composition, you know, how to create your own music, composition cannot happen without improvisation. So that's where composition comes from. You're making up something and then you decide, oh, that was cool. I'm going to keep that. And then all of a sudden you're piecing together all these things that you created out of nothing and decided to keep. So it's exactly, exactly the same. 
Oh, I love that. I love that. And then we get to all the designs. So these are completed cakes, which you can totally make from start to finish with all the components that Amanda recommends, or you can mix and match them, right? Totally. So the designs are kind of, you know, you could use the design with different flavors, like you said, mix and match. I created flavors that I like, that our family goes back to over and over, and that I serve to friends. But if you have a cake recipe that you love, but you like a design, by all means, use that cake recipe and do this design. It's, it's just, it's there for you to play with however you want. Most of the designs, some of them are a little bit precision, but for the most part, it's very casual. And I just hope anybody listening, if you try to replicate a design, if it looks exactly the same and you're happy with that, wonderful. But if halfway through you take it to your own place or halfway through your hands make the motions in a slightly different way, that's not a failure. It's becoming your own. And I, I love that. And I, if you tag me in a picture, I'm never going to be like, well, that doesn't look like my cake. I'm going to be like, your cake is amazing. I'm going to be very excited for your creation. So I felt a little strange. I'm just saying this because in, from a very honest place, I felt a little strange about presenting finished designs because it felt a little more authoritative than I like to be about design. I think when you approach it as, as an artistic medium, very few painters teach how to paint their exact painting. So it felt, felt a little uncomfortable for me, but I did think that it would be useful, especially I know for me, when I first started using cake as a medium, I was recreating a lot of things and you need a starting point and you need that, that place. So I'm like, if this gets somebody's juices flowing and, and they like what they see, then that's a wonderful thing, but it's not, I, I just want everyone to know it's not from an authoritative place of like, this is how you do it. And if it doesn't look like this, it's a failure. That's not the case. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's so important. And I think the designs you chose they're super accessible. And like you said, like, even if I tried to copy you exactly because of how my hand works, just like you said, it's going to be different and it's going to be special. And I'm going to find my own rhythm with, with these designs. And they all have amazing names and the head notes are just so much fun. You get these little <laughs> windows into Amanda's creativity, into her family, into her how she grew up and things that she loves and and also places you know she's inspired by los angeles i love how i'm talking about you like you're not here (laughs) (laughs) i can hear you i love it i'm just sitting here blushing it's wonderful (laughs) oh it's 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 really it's personal it's accessible um and the flavor combos are going to get you super super excited i mean we could we could just read them all, but I mean, should we just say a few, a few of our favorites? Yeah, let's say a few. And then about the header, I, I always feel really weird about recipe headers. Cause I feel like sometimes you can tell the author had a lot of stories to tell. And in that case, it's wonderful. But then sometimes I'm very like black and white about a cake. I'm like, I made this cause it's delicious. So I'm not going to bore you with a long story about the first time I ate a blueberry and how juicy it was if that's an authentic story, I'm going to tell it. But for some of these, it's like, you know, have this with tacos. And, and I felt like that was enough. Like, cause most, most of the flavors I use also, I think they don't need as much explaining as, as some recipes or cakes might, because when you're working with flavors like chocolate, most of the readers know what chocolate tastes like. So I just didn't, want every cake to be ranting about, you know, chocolate so earthy and smooth and rich and, you know, like, you, you know, chocolate. So I just tried <laughs> to give the information that was useful and maybe sometimes be a little, I'll use a British word here, be a little cheeky. So <laughs> I love it. So my short list, <laughs> I'm definitely making the date truffle cake. That's like the first cake I'm going to be making. And that includes a chocolate cake, a shiny ganache, and a walnut date jam and cocoa powder. And, and you were inspired by Palm Springs, which is and date shakes, which is one of my favorite places and favorite things to eat when I'm down there. So that's on my short list. Also the one you did for your birthday, I'm trying to find the name. It has passion fruit and a coconut, um, sugar, um, icing and chocolate cake, right? 
Yes. Yes. Wedding notes. I feel Is like I wandering would have handpicked ruffles. those for you. Yeah. I would have definitely handpicked these for and you. And then I've got to do the peanut butter pancakes. It's all about maple and caramel and praline and vanilla. And I was talking to my family about it yesterday and they're like, their eyes were like rolling in their heads. Like you've got to make it. <laughs> and it's fall as we record this, the second day of fall 2019. And I feel like that's a very appropriate cake for this time of year. Yes. And the Atlanta peach, I've got to do that. I've never done a ermine buttermilk style frosting. So that's an I. You know how I love summer fruits, so that one's going to happen. The hot and tired, again, there's blackberries and cassis, need I say more? <laughs> there's so many. I mean, oh my gosh, that's my short, very short list. But um, also the blueberry smash, like I'm totally going to use that design for a wedding cake that I have next year. I just, I, It's all about these meringues that she covered the cake with and then smashed them. It's just the most it makes me think of like the lost island at atlantis or something it's just this really cool evocative design it's so crazy as you talk so many of these cakes like as you talk about them i'm like yes i was thinking that jeremiah would think that like you are so through this book like each recipe i think a lot of times i go oh i think jeremiah would really like this or even if i'm like oh this isn't a cake for jeremiah or whatever like i'm always <laughs> thinking of you and and feeding you in my mind, which is really oh, kind of funny. Thank you. The that Atlanta peach. I'm glad you mentioned that one. That was a weird day for me. And I almost remade this cake. Uh, but really? Since I talked about intuitive design, I'm going to share this picture on Instagram sometime soon. I'm glad you made me think about this cake. It's such a delicious cake. But sometimes I just can't follow the rules. So I had this whole design in my mind of how it was going to be. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think I was going to do one of my cloud cakes where I do the French star to make the like little tiny rosettes just on oh, repeat and cover the that. whole top. But as I, I just, that's not what I wanted to do once I started doing it. And I just tried to follow my heart and it's, completely an example of intuitive design where I was like, I'm in the mood to pipe. Now I'm in the mood to scrape. Now I'm in the mood to throw some sprinkles. How about some eyeballs? Once you see the picture, you'll be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. So I had eyeball sprinkles and I just plunked them on there. But, um, I, in the end, I love that cake. So I'm glad you made me think about it. Oh, and flavors. Cause I forget you guys aren't holding the book right in front of you. It's a spice cake. I put some spices in mm. the vanilla cake and then made a peach pie filling. I wanted it to taste as close to a varsity fried peach pie as I could. And then a buttermilk frosting, like a ermine frosting made with soured milk. So just so you can kind of like eat with your ears for a second. Are there any others you'd like to highlight? I mean, I could read them all, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like picking a favorite child. People have asked me several times, well, which one's your favorite? And I'm like, if I didn't love them all, then it'd be a pretty crap book. Like truly I love them all. I had so many more ideas that I eliminated. So it sounds like a terrible answer, but they're all my favorites. Um, you mentioned the shiny ganache frosting on the date cake. I think it's good to point out it's the same frosting that I used on the cupcakes for the chocolate and orange cupcakes, just using the ganache at a different temperature. So that's kind of a fun experience. If you haven't played a ton with chocolate ganache, I would definitely as a pairing say, make both of those and see how different the ganache looks, eats, the way it sets. If you use it when it's very warm versus cooled to room temperature, ganache is magical. And I always, every time I get excited about ganache, it's just so shiny and, and delicious and simple. It's like, I felt like that was one of those things that was off limits to me as a home baker. When I first started baking, just the word ganache, I was like, oh, that sounds like something only pastry chefs make. And then once I started making it, I was like, everyone should do this. <laughs> it's so easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, and gosh, what a joy to eat. And like um, a French patisserie or you know any of these great cooking, baking traditions, they all start with sort of like mother sauces or base recipes in which you are then trained to be to add creative variations. And that's kind of the soul of a lot of your recipes is you've got these mother recipes, whether they're cake recipes or the frog 
frosting icing recipes and components that you really teach us how to be creative with them, how you were creative with them. And then I really think it opens our mind and what we could do in the future as well, which is kind of, I think, kind of the soul of what you're teaching us in this book. I love that you picked up on that. Um, It's the way my baking evolved when I had the cake business. This is very much from that because every cake was custom. I didn't have a menu. I had a few things I would offer to people if, if they were just like, Oh, what cakes do you make? So to get their juices flowing, but every cake was custom. But with that, you can't recipe test 20 times for every single cake. So I had to come up with systems of how can I meet these flavor requests without having to make 20 practice cakes every time. I mean, you'd have to charge somebody $3,000 for one cake. Right. And when they just want a delicious birthday cake, you have to be reasonable. So um, by figuring out how to kind of, I like the way you say mother recipes, figuring out like this recipe is solid in this way and it can be modified in all of these ways. It was very kind of, um, I don't like the word formulaic because it sounds negative. It sounds liberating to me. Efficient and liberating. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, you come up with a system and then it's very exciting. I would love to get the emails back from customers when they're like, oh, I want something with passion fruit. Instead of developing a brand new passion fruit cake, I'd go, well, passion fruit works well with chocolate or vanilla. So we kind of figure out for the cake part what they want. And then I'd figure out is passion fruit more suited as a filling more suited as a frosting or both and, and kind of go from there. So that's how the book is there. I felt pressure at times for myself, like maybe I should do this in a different way so that it looks more complicated. And I just thought, no, why am I going to present people with ways of doing things that I would never do myself? It just felt wrong. So it's it's exactly how I bake. We're already kind of now through the the section of the completed designs, and we're already talking about recipes, and they're all here with gorgeous pictures and all their variations. I mean, even just the caramel section, you have your great classic caramel recipe, and then all these variations, including chai and maple, and it's just just delicious. Yeah, there's, well, thank you. There's three caramel recipes, all of which can be made into buttercream and then kind of ways to modify those. That took restraint for me. Actually, I'm like, is three too much? And I'm like, no, I don't, I could have easily done a book about caramel. I feel like I would love to do like a caramel sauce business and just have shelves of all the different caramels because I never get tired of it. So Oh, no. I hope people are excited about that part. So, And I know three is your favorite number, and I see that number come up a lot in the book. And that makes me so happy because I love those sorts of things. It's hidden like in a million different spots, for sure. Three caramel recipes, three sections of the book. A lot of times I thought, I need to give three ways of doing this. And it's just such a great number. It's my favorite. I can't help myself. It's a little indulgent, but it pushes me too. Yes. Cause if you find just one, I'm glad number one is not my favorite number <laughs> because then I would just go, here's the one way stick with it. Bye. <laughs> I also think it just infuses this sort of intangible magic into the book. And obviously it pushed you to do things challenged you in certain ways. So it, I think that's just another infusion of, of the magic. Well, now that we've gone through a tour, let's talk to you about the beginnings. I know you and I were talking a lot and you were playing around with a few different concepts. All of them were really, really, really exciting. But how did you settle on this one? And I know it probably sounds pretty natural because you you have done so much with cake, but you were definitely playing around with other ideas. Yeah, I feel like this one's always been the core idea. Um, I talked about it some on IGTV and then I was like, "Eh, I don't like IGTV. So I took the videos down. So don't go hunting for them. They're gone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, fickle nature of me. I, so I talked a bit on there a long time ago, right after the show was over, I spoke to an agent about doing a cake book that was kind of like an art book. And I wanted it to be very large, like a coffee table book with huge glossy pictures And I'm so glad that that didn't work out. I think it was a nice idea. I I hope somebody either has done it or will do it. It's, 
it's not something terrible, but turns out that's not the book that I had to share. And it's weird how like the world stops you from yourself sometimes. And so I'm glad that didn't work out at that point. And also my baking evolved a lot. I think I just really had the urge to write a book, but over time, a book built up inside of me and it got to a place where this was the idea. There were other times too, where I knocked around the idea and I still do about doing a book about baking that doesn't have anything to do with cake. Cause sometimes I'm like, I'm more than cake. People don't put me in a box, but I've gone really deep on this and it built up to the point where I was like, I have a book in my brain and in my heart. And if I don't get this out, it might drive me mad. So did I answer the question? I kind of meandered a bit. Absolutely. but And you decided on cake because? <laughs> it's what I do. And I think it really pairs so nicely with my love of art. A lot of times people say, which came first, art or baking? 100% it was art. It's always been, it, I, I don't even remember when I first started to love being creative or loving art. It's just, I think, who I am. And I think that cake is a great way to show that. It's a much more natural fit than um brownies, which I love too. But I think this is, this is something that I had that would possibly be useful for people beyond just another brownie recipe. I haven't gone as deep on those kind of things. So as much as I could share a really delicious brownie, I don't know that I have at this point a book's worth of information to share with people. Your best friend, Eileen Farshi, who you dedicated a recipe to she wants to know and you've you've spoke on this a little earlier how slash why did you come up with the name of the book oh my dear eileen she's for what it's worth too she's the only person that has a named recipe for her big deal yeah she's she's my bff for life if you ever see us putting af x af it's because our initials are both af It was just meant to be. I love her so much. Um, So Eileen, to answer your question, I chose Cake Portfolio because that sets the tone for exactly the book that it is. It is my cake portfolio. Just like an artist has their portfolio of work, um, this is a collection of that. And it was... I was really happy once I came to this name. Of course, I was like thinking of a bunch of different names and it's such an emotional process for me. I knocked around the idea of writing a book about like therapeutic baking and like how to get through different things using, you know, make this cake if you've had a terrible Monday, you know, that kind of stuff. And it would be a really fun book, but like I said, it was more, I had a book that built up in me and that's the one that came out and a portfolio just seemed like the right fit. It's articulate to what the book is. Now, I don't think we've actually mentioned this because I think it's easy to forget that this is what happened, but you did every step of this book. You managed every process. Of course, you wrote it. You photographed it, which is becoming slightly more common, but it's not traditional to, to photograph your own photos for your book. You did the layout, which most self-publishers will hire someone. As you said earlier, you edited it. Oh, I said it a lot of edited. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how it felt. Actually, the editing, it felt like editing it. (laughs) Yes, that's, that was accurate. (laughs) And, And you're managing the promotion, you're managing the shipping, you're doing everything, which is like, we should all, I'm on my knees, like, whoa, yeah, a lot of respect for you. That's, that's an, that's a lot. So we have a lot of questions about the process and you know them intimately. And Bianca.Bakes wants to know what was the process of testing like? What format did you use to capture your changes? She's been trying to figure out a good format for editing recipes with notes. She's tried Google Drive, but Sometimes she writes on paper and then never transfers the info. So what are your thoughts about that? Uh, That's a great question and very relatable throughout my time of baking, not even just for this book. I've always been trying different things and testing recipes. And before this book, I had kind of like a catacombs of folders and books with scraps and weird notes on my computer and in my phone, just like she was mentioning. And then sometimes like I'd get on a kick. I'm like, oh, this is all going to go in one binder and I'd get half of it in there. And I knew that would not work for a book. 
So one thing I'll say is most of the recipes in the book, an overwhelming majority are recipes that I already had, um, prior to writing the book. They weren't, um, necessarily written for the book. It was almost more of a game of putting together the puzzle pieces for the designs. So if I knew like the shiny ganache frosting is something I've been making for a while and the chocolate cake is something I've been making for a while, but I couldn't use the shiny ganache frosting on every single chocolate cake. So I put everything on a note card and kind of like created cake combos and then created designs from those combos. So hopefully that makes sense. So a lot of the recipes were done. So there for the ones that needed to be tested though, what works really well for me, I'm not a technology person is it's, it's, I mean, it's as old school as it gets as I would write the recipe out on a sheet of paper. I never bake from like an idea and not writing it out before I'll test a recipe. I write it as if it's a good to go recipe. So I would write out all the ingredients, all the directions, for myself as if it's ready to go and then bake from that. Because I know that if you have it in your head, what you think you're doing is not always what you actually do. So I would kind of write a recipe and then look at it with fresh eyes as if I hadn't made it and just go, what is this person telling me to do? So I would do that. And then just one test at a time, change one. I know you're supposed to only change one thing at a time, but come on. I mean, if you know... (laughs) the texture's not right and you need to add something, you could change that and then also add a little salt too. I'm not above making a couple of changes. And so I would just keep changing it and keep them all in one notebook. There was one notebook that I kept for all of those tests. But most of the recipes were things I already loved. I just had to make sure that they were typed in a way that made sense for people and and then make them from that typed recipe. That was key. At Christina9980 wants to know, how long did the process take from start to finish? That's a good question. And I mean, the previous question, I think, will help this answer make sense. I think if you were starting, like if today I said, I'm going to write a book about pie, I have maybe like two or three pie recipes of my own. So I'd be pretty much starting from scratch. And that would take a very, very long time in a way I've been writing this book ever since I started my cake business. Cause I was documenting and keeping these recipes and I knew one day I would want to share them in a book. So it's like, well, how do you count? Um, I could <laughs> scroll back and see when I announced on Instagram cause I'm very impulsive pretty much when I decided, Oh yes, I'm definitely doing this. I quickly announced, Hey, I'm writing a book. There wasn't a lot of lag time between deciding and posting. So I could scroll back and see, do you remember Jeremiah when I officially was like, I'm doing this? I don't know. Maybe it like was this year. Nine months ago. It? Yeah. It was this year. We were definitely in California. So about nine months ago, I think, was when I started writing the book. Like I downloaded a book program on my computer and started making a book. At Maris underscore bakes a lot, who we've had a little mini interview with on a previous episode. She wants to yes, know, yes. we love you, Maris, Marissa, right? <laughs> Any pro tips on keeping the photo aesthetic consistent? And I'm dying to know this answer too, because all of your photos have the same gorgeous light and aesthetic. Yes. Um, so I have really good tips for that. And I think the good thing about the, the tips I'm going to share, they would apply for any style. So this isn't how to make your photos look like mine, which is a very specific look. I like very muted, a little dark, a little grainy. I wanted, since it was such a journal, I wanted it to have that kind of texture, not be so glossy and polished that it looks like it came from a company. It didn't. It came from me, an individual, a human being. Anyway, that being said, I used, so at the very beginning, I got the book program. I put it on my computer and just to test, I put some of the photos that I had on my phone as if I was putting them into the book and every single one, I got these notifications, like all these exclamation points popping up on my screen saying that the quality was too low. So then I did some research and you can on your phone, if you have an iPhone, change the settings so that it'll take higher quality photos. I did that. And I wanted to shoot all this with my phone because I was like, I don't, 
I'm not trying to learn a camera here. Genius. So I did that. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe crazy, maybe genius. Everything is like either borderline genius or borderline cuckoo. So <laughs> like this poor woman. Um, anyway, so I tried that and the quality was better, but still not good enough. And so then we upgraded my phone. Um, my husband and I, we went and got a new phone for me and oh, I hate getting a new phone. It's just, it feels so traumatic. So that's how bad I wanted to write the book that I was willing to go get a new phone. So I did that. And then this phone takes higher quality pictures. It's iPhone, whatever, you know, modern number is. And so I used my phone from there. I used Instagram to edit all of the pictures on a private account. I made a super sneak private account and I would upload all the pictures on to Instagram and then I could look at them all in one place. And for every single photo, I used the same filter and I used a lot of the same, um, tweaks. I'm trying to think of like the right word, like bumping up the contrast Editing. or bumping it down or yeah, that kind of stuff, the sharpening and the, and all of those things I used very similar, but then what was nice is I could look in the Instagram feed in a very small way versus trying to flip through pages or screens on a computer in those small thumbnail images, I could see which ones stood out because sometimes the lighting would be a little weird or something. And I'm like, that's going to stand out in the book. So I would just delete the image from there. And then from there is where I would put them into the book. The other thing is from the shooting perspective, I did want it to have that artistic quality and kind of a gallery feel. So for some books, I think extensive food styling with napkins and unique utensils and backgrounds and surfaces makes a lot of sense for this book, a clean white background, similar to what you would see in a museum made sense to me. So every photo is either close up. So you only see the ingredient or the texture, or if the background is there, it's white. Sometimes I used a bit of parchment paper for added texture, just to keep the photo from looking too flat or cold uh, I use only a white cake stand and I shot at one window if it was in the morning and I shot at a different window, the one in my bedroom on the floor, if it was in the afternoon. So that the light and shadows would kind of all make sense and feel like one place. There you go. That's a long answer, but. Oh, but I was drinking it all in, all in. I'm taking notes. At back nine farm underscore Lindsay wants to know, how did you decide which photo to use on the cover? Well, I'm starting to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I think when you have an idea that you want to be consistent, that's the only way. But the idea was that it's, it's art, it's design and it's cake. And I made a few different covers and I asked friends and family, like, what do you think? And it was so interesting. Everybody had the same feeling this layout. I originally had a different photo, but people felt like this layout kind of conveyed that it was an art book. And then I had another cover that I really loved too, but everybody said, this looks like a book about baking. And I thought what sets this book aside and what tone I want to set is that it's a book about art and baking. So I felt like the cover needed to reflect that to kind of establish expectations for the reader. That's brilliant. Brilliant. At Displaced Housewife and the Jam Lab, we love you both. They had similar questions about where do you get your inspirations for your beautiful designs and awesome flavor combination. Thank you. Um, short and simple, the flavors come from what I like to eat. Sometimes I, I, you know, eat something somewhere and then I translate it. We've kind of talked on here before about maybe we'll have a delicious tea and we go. Ooh, black tea and peach is great together. And so then that becomes a cake or I'll have a candy bar. And I think this should be a cake or like the peanut butter pancakes. We have a breakfast that we like, and I go, this should be a cake. So that's kind of how the flavors come about. And then for the designs, it's a lot of what I want to do. There's certain moves with cake that I really enjoy. And I like repetition and I like things that kind of go easy on me and not, not play up the perfectionism a lot. I talked about that before and it's in the book as well. So that's a factor. And then just life, you know, color palettes that I see when I'm on a walk or flipping through a magazine or 
I always feel like every episode I'm advertising Instagram, but (laughs) it's a part of my life. So when I'm scrolling through Instagram, sometimes I'm like, Ooh, that texture, you know, is so easy to cakeify. Like this needs to happen. So now me knowing you and your prolific creativity, how did you restrict yourself and edit the process to have a clear, clear and cohesive direct manifestation of your vision? How did you do that? I mean, you have seriously like the most creative brain I know. That's extremely generous. And thank you very much. Uh, I have to create anytime I'm making anything, painting, um, baking, or just in life, even like getting dressed, I have to create a box for myself and create some rules for this. It had to be something that I will make over and over and over the design, the taste, all of it. So if I thought of something, there was one cake that I had, I don't want to say the flavors. I just don't, but it had really delicious flavors, but I had to kind of ask myself, would I ever choose that over a chocolate chip cookie? It's delicious. If I went to a friend's house and they served it, I would like it. But if I walked into a bakery and I had my choice, I would never choose that cake. So it didn't have a place in the book. It wasn't delicious enough. And then the same with designs. I didn't want to do any designs that I would not personally repeat. It had to be something that I would do over and over again and not do once and go, well, that was a nightmare. It looks great, but what a horrific experience. And I I just didn't want to give that to anybody. So those were two of the main parameters. Let's talk about techniques. Um, why and how did you decide just to use three piping tips? That's all she uses, you guys. That's that same thing that we were just talking about is I have to create a box. There are hundreds, hundreds. of piping tips. And I did not want to send people to the store buying hundreds of piping tips. And when I go to make a cake, These are the ones I'm not saying I never use any other piping tips, but these three are the ones that I use 95% of the time. So again, like maybe there could be a book where it's like, here's a one-off. You're going to enjoy this flavor once and it'll be fun that you experienced it. You're going to enjoy this piping tip once Russian piping tips. That's one of those things. I have Russian piping tips. They're fun, but it's not a go-to for me. It didn't belong in my portfolio. At Trish Mont, she wants to know, or Monty, is it absolutely necessary to use a stand mixer or will a hand mixer do? A hand mixer will absolutely do. Just choose your recipes wisely and make sure that your personal stamina is up for it. I mean, I've creamed butter and sugar with a fork before, so you can do a lot of things with minimal equipment. And I only baked with a hand mixer. I think I got a stand mixer shortly before we started. Um, I started prepping for the show. So it's, it's a wonderful tool. It works very, very well. Just if it's one of the recipes where you're whipping meringues, you know, or whipping egg whites, you know, to meringue status and then waiting until it cools, just, just be prepared for that, you know, have all your ingredients ready to go, maybe even do it with a buddy. I I always found like an Italian meringue really hard to do with a hand mixer. It was very hard to pour in between the beaters and the edge of the bowl and managing that in a mobile way, it was a lot. I did it. And so you certainly could, um, but just look at the recipe. Most of them, it won't even be a minor issue. Go for it. At the underscore Melissa, Melissa, um, wants to know how to keep cakes from turning out dense and heavy. I love this question. Um, cause it, it gives me the chance to explain a couple of things or say a couple of things, There are so many different kinds of cakes. So if you want a super fluffy cake where the egg whites, I feel like where egg whites are used as a leavener, tell me if you agree. I feel like those create the fluffiest cakes. Definitely. Yeah. So if you're looking for that kind of cake to make, you know, that's the cake you're wanting. You need to find a recipe and, and make that kind of cake. The vanilla cake I use in the book is fluffy for its style of cake, which is a butter 
kind of pound cake type of cake. So it's never going to be an angel food cake. Um, now if you want a fluffier pound cake type of cake, make sure that your butter and sugar is creamed, you know, they're creamed really, really well. So that starts with having the good room temperature butter and then seeing it through. It takes a lot longer than you initially think it'll take to cream it. Make sure all of your ingredients are mixed really well. Make sure your batter doesn't sit for too long and make sure you have a great recipe. I think all of those things will contribute to the fluffiness, but just know that it has limitations. One, you know, one cake is not all, all the way fluffy, you know, like you may be desiring. And you chose to write this book all in grams. So right from there, you are already giving the baker something that's super precise to go from. So you're going, your chances of recreating what Manda does in her home are super high, just in the fact that you're going to be using and weighing everything in grams. That's a good point. And I haven't talked about that a lot. So I think a lot of books, I'll just say really fast. I think a lot of cookbooks, it makes sense that they may show measurements in two different ways because you're saying, here's this great recipe. I hope you make it for me. And, and I never want to limit the number of people who will make a recipe that I believe in. But for me, because this book was such a journal and such a portfolio, it felt wrong to put ways in the book of doing things that I would never do. And I don't bake by volume. I only bake by weight. So that's why I chose to only give the measurements that way. Cause otherwise I'd be going, here's my portfolio. This is how I do things, but not really. I'll let you do it this way, but it's not how I do it. It just, it didn't make sense in my brain. You wouldn't be able to guarantee the results if you're using volume. It's just, that's just how it is. At crafted and caked wants to know, did you simplify any recipes to make them more accessible? And if so, are there any upgrades you'd recommend? Short answer is no, I did not simplify anything. Um, But that comes from a deep belief that baking shouldn't be all that hard. I I think I did try to use very simple language. I tried not to put things, anything that came across sounding, um, fancy or, or exclusive. I would try to make sure that my, my verbiage was a, a home baker's verbiage, which is actually pretty natural for me to do because I'm a home baker. So no, I didn't simplify anything. So you shouldn't need to on the flip side, then need to complicate it or step it up for yourself. Um, if you are more advanced, I think they're great recipes for a baker at any level. Let's do a lightning round. How has this process changed you? Oh, I feel satisfied. I, I, I had a lot of anxiety before, I think because it was building up and now I, I feel very satisfied to have it out. Describe the book in three words encouraging, delicious. I don't know how to say this in one word, visually exciting. If I say it together really fast, can that count as one word? (laughs) The recipe that was the easiest to create chocolate cake. I mean, I've made it so many times. I don't know. Or should I do one that I made special for the book, which one of the cakes you really want to make is the walnut date jam. It has the walnut date jam filling. And that was so easy. It like it was one of those where I put everything in the food processor and I tasted it and I was like, yes, this is it. And it it you know, you feel a little guilty when something only takes one test. You're like, maybe I should <laughs> test this and torture it more so it feels authentic. And like I worked so hard on this, but it was easy. It was so good. I loved it the first time. And then which recipe was the most challenging to create? The German buttercream took a lot of attempts. I will say that it took a lot because I wanted the texture to be nice for piping, but sometimes adding more and more and more butter or more and more and more of something else to make it nice for piping doesn't help with the deliciousness. So it took a lot of like push and pull. That one took, took several attempts. Yeah. Which cake would you like to eat today? I want the French butter mint cake today. The layers are sliced so thin, the chocolate cake, and layered with that really rich mint frosting. I think I'm going to make this um, cake this Friday. It's been on my mind. That's the one my mom wants. Make it for her. Be a good son. (laughs) (laughs) If you could live with only one piping tip, which would it be? 
That's just a mean question. I already limited myself to three. <laughs> uh, it would be any sort of French star. It doesn't have to be any sort of size. I bet you thought I was going to say the Wilton 1M, but no, I would take the French star if I could only have one. Do you ever listen to Desert Island Discs? I think it's a BBC thing. Jonathan loves it. Yes. Okay, so... Yes, I yes. love it. Give us your desert island flavors. So these are the ones I just couldn't live without. Yes. I'm on a deserted island. I need these flavors. Uh, chocolate, caramel, and I'm trying to decide if I want to throw a fruit in there or say peanut butter. <laughs> I'm so sorry, peanut butter, but I'm I'm going to go with cherry. Woo. Ooh, that's a beautiful yeah. cake combo right there. There you go. So mix and match the recipes in the back and whip up a chocolate, caramel, and cherry cake, please. Thank you. My last question, are there more books you'd like to write? Yes, but not anytime <laughs> soon. It's going to take some time. <laughs> not because I'm traumatized. Like the, the manic person in me is like, let's write another. And I think I will compile my other recipes just for myself into a book. Now that I've learned how to do the layout, I'm like, I need to use this skill but no, I don't, I don't have another book that's built up just yet. I, I hope one does at some point, but not yet. Perfect answer. Life goes in cycles and I, I'm, I'm happy that you're going to enjoy this, this cycle and then it'll be exciting to see what happens in the future. Yeah, it's a mystery to me. So stay tuned. Well, huge congratulations. I know you're doing a book signing soon. Is that right? Yes, I have a night coming up at Now Serving. I believe it's November 9th. That's in Chinatown in Los Angeles. And a lot of you have so kindly written about, will I have a book tour? Will I be going here, going there, doing signings? At this point, I don't have any plans because I did self-publish. Everything is completely self-driven. So that requires me making a connection in that city and organizing it, planning it, and then paying for travel and figuring out you know, is this in the budget? I just can't necessarily scoot around. I would love to meet everyone who's interested and, and have all those great conversations. So it, this may be a long process. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll do a little pop up here and there over the next few years. I don't know, but yep. There's a signing here in Los Angeles. We'll get out there, get to LA, go see Amanda, get that book, have her sign it and then go make some cake. sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.